Beside an old colonial house in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, a large chestnut tree grows, and on inspection there would seem to be nothing particularly interesting about it. But it is over 230 years old and was planted by William Whipple, one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. The seeds he planted that tree with were brought back from Philadelphia, where Continental Congress met, not long after he fixed his name to the Declaration. Whipple represented New Hampshire at the Continental Congress, a state that had declared itself independent before Congress did, with its own constitution that Whipple helped to craft. That state had an odd history. It had its own identity, but it hadn't been established for all that long. See, it was the result of a business deal gone bad. When two of the partners from an English company settling Massachusetts, Sir Ferdinando Georges and Captain John Mason, obtained rights for a little piece of land between the Merrimack and Kennebunk rivers, then called the province of Maine, they decided they wanted their own colonies and to split apart. As a result of the dissolution of the partnership, Mason took the area between the Pisquata and the Merrimack rivers. It might have ended there, and like its other division, Maine, this New Hampshire division, with its relatively small access to the Atlantic Ocean, may have stayed a part of Massachusetts since the Revolution. But it became a popular spot for settlers. The west bank of the harbor and the Merrimack, now the state's capital, was settled by English colonists, farmers, and fishermen in 1630, and it was named Strawberry Bank after the wild red fruit growing there. It had a good location, situated as it was between the fishing, lumber, and shipbuilding industries of the region. Residents decide to call it Portsmouth to honor John Mason, the settler. He had been captain of Portsmouth, England, in the county of Hampshire. Ignoring the ownership grant of John Mason, Massachusetts annexed New Hampshire. But residents petitioned the king. After the English Civil War, Charles II, restored to the throne, was upset with Massachusetts' uppity ways. New Hampshire was proclaimed a royal colony, one that might be a little more loyal in 1679. It has its own identity and would establish an ideology and a cultural difference between the two areas, Massachusetts and New Hampshire, which could argue still persists today. Yet borders took some time to settle. Although they were technically independent of each other, though there was a grant for New Hampshire, the crown usually would appoint a single man to govern both Massachusetts and New Hampshire until 1741, when George II settled the borders once for all and established an official separate colony. At this time of founding, William Whipple became a young shipmaster and for the first time settled off on his own ship, a career that would take him all around the Atlantic world, the West Indies, the Atlantic Islands, Africa, and here... I don't think it does any honor to a signer to sugarcoat what life and businesses in the colonies was like. And here, part of his business involved the trading of slaves. And he owned a slave. We called Prince Whipple. After six years of success, he settled with his brother in Portsmouth and established a partnership in a merchant house with his brother, married his first cousin, Catherine Moffat, and lived in the now-historic mansion of the Moffat family on Market Street, where the tree we spoke of earlier was located. On January 7, 1776, 
William Whipple wrote a letter to Josiah Bartlett, also one of the signers from New Hampshire, in which he stated, This year, my friend, is big with mighty events. Nothing less than the fate of America depends upon the virtue of her sons. And if they have not virtue enough to support the most glorious cause ever human beings were engaged in, they don't deserve the blessings of freedom. New Hampshire dissolved the royal government and reorganized with a House of Representatives and an Executive Council. Whipple became one of those council members of the new state of New Hampshire and a member of the Committee of Safety. He was then elected to the Continental Congress to go down to Philadelphia and serve the state, which he did through 1779. And he was active there, active in the war effort and active in the purchase of arms and manufactures. Highly active in military affairs, he was a leader of a New Hampshire colonial militia when... A defense of New Hampshire was needed. He left the Continental Congress and started attacking the flank of General Burgoyne's army, which was trying to come down from Canada and split the United States, what would be the United States, in half. One side, Massachusetts, the other side, Pennsylvania, by cutting through the middle of New York from Canada. Had Burgoyne succeeded, would have been a very different story to the Revolutionary War. Well, the first problem that General Burgoyne's army would have is a harassing attack by the New Hampshire militia, in which William Whipple was a leader of one of the brigades. When the Battle of Saratoga was fought, General Gates defeated General Burgoyne. That threat to the new United States was ended, and William Whipple was among those who received the surrender of Burgoyne and accompanied Burgoyne all the way to Portsmouth, where he was able to bring him back to British lines. He talked in his diary about how many complaints Burgoyne had throughout this whole voyage and all of his needs and how long it took to take all of Burgoyne's trappings. He was obviously a very effete British gentleman. But that's what you did in those days. That was the system of honor in war. He led another militia brigade at the Battle of Rhode Island. So, Quite often we hear about the signers of the Declaration, and there may be some who, perhaps, in the back or the front of their minds, the touch of their keyboards or their pins, are saying that these signers don't deserve all the credit because all they did was sign a piece of paper, and they were rich men who benefited from the whole transaction. Kinds of things that you hear about the signers of the Declaration. Well, Several of them, we talked about Caesar Rodney in another episode, several of them fought in the Revolution, and William Whipple was one of those signers. His fight for liberty may have inspired him. His slave, Prince Whipple, followed the general to war and served with him through the Revolution. Prince was a group of New Hampshire slaves who asked New Hampshire's legislature for their freedom. It was not granted by that legislature, but in Prince's cases it needed be. William Whipple freed his slave Prince, having believed he could not fight for liberty and simultaneously own a slave. Setting an example for those around him, setting an example for other signers and other great men not always followed. Some reports dramatically have him freeing Prince on the very battlefield of Saratoga, though it's hard to establish that. We do know that he freed his slave Prince. So you'll hear quite often that Signers, many of them were slaveholders, and that's true. Though some of them, Whipple and With among them, saw the error of their ways. Indeed, Whipple expressed how he felt about African Americans when he wrote a letter to Josiah Bartlett. He had heard that perhaps South Carolinians would raise a regiment of black soldiers. He thought this was a grand idea. 
maybe, maybe this would help that race to earn their freedom. Following the American Revolution, Whipple became an associate justice with New Hampshire Superior Court. Being a judge in colonial times wasn't always easy. Not all of the litigants came to you. You had to travel around and hear cases on your circuit. This could be all over the state. So often society's most wise and elderly in these colonial and early American times were also given a very hard and demanding job with a lot of business travel. On November 28, 1785, he experienced a fainting spell and fell from his horse while riding in his court circuit. And William died a short time later, having suffered from heart problems for many years. He was 55 years old. William Whipple was laid to rest in Portsmouth's Old North Burial Ground. And in that North Burial Ground, we will finish our talk about him. The tomb of William Whipple, as the tomb of some of the lesser-known founders, was not sufficiently decorated. Yes, it's given a place, and there's a monument there in the Old North Burial Ground, but as one of the lesser-known signers, it's only recently, 2011, that finally he was honored, along with the other signers, with a bronze plaque at his gravesite. Whipple's gravesite, prior to that, mentioned that he was a member of the Continental Congress when America declared its freedom from Great Britain. But it didn't spell out that he was specifically a signer. The 104-year-old Society of the Descendants of the Declaration for Independence wanted to change the image and raised money to enhance the gravesites of some of the lesser-known signers. And for his service for his signing, or his military service at the Battle of Saratoga and Battle of Rhode Island, William Whipple certainly deserves that honor. As Reverend Goodrich wrote in his lovely, if sometimes overdramatically written, biography of the signers, the cabin boy who 30 years before had looked forward to a command of a vessel as the consummation of all his hopes and wishes, now stood amidst the Congress of 1776, and looked around upon a conclave of patriots such as the world had never witnessed. He whose ambition once centered in inscribing his name as commander upon a crew list now affixed his signature to a document which has embalmed it for posterity. I want to thank you for listening. We've got only a few signers to go. If you like the program, please tell someone about us. Give us a review on iTunes. It's very helpful. My main job is doing a podcast called My History Can Beat Up Your Politics, www.myhistorycanbeatupyourpolitics.com, where we talk about history and apply it to the politics of today. A little different from this program, which is a straight look at the signers that I'm doing just simply because nobody else had done enough in an audio format. So there you go. Next episode, we're going to take care of the rest of the signers.